Welcome to our house of horror. Here we have your favorite ghosts, ghouls, and mysteries. Come in, I will walk with you. Down the corridors of darkness, down the archives of the macabre, and into Tinkerbuff's Catacombs of Horrors. This is part two of my Bella Lugosi coverage. This episode's going to be covering the filming of Dracula. Now, Bram Stoker's novel had already been filmed without permission as Nosferatu in 1922. However, Stoker's wife sued and all the courts ordered all the copies to be destroyed. Thankfully, this honestly asinine request wasn't fully accomplished and the film was restored and we do still get to keep that masterpiece, which, fun fact, first film to give me legitimate nightmares. Producer Carl Lim Jr. saw this whole ordeal, and he saw the potential. He saw how much people love Nosferatu and thought, well, if they love that, what if I got the rights to the real thing and just did it myself? He was also inspired by the lavish spectacles of the time, such as Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. Carl, also with the future screenwriters, deeply studied Nosferatu, going so far as to directly take a scene that was only in that movie and not even actually in the novel. The uh, scene where he pricks his finger and the Count is like, oh, it goes a little crazy because he smells blood at the dinner table and has to quickly recover himself. In spite of Lugosi's glowing reviews on his portrayal of Dracula already on the ridiculously famous Broadway show, Carl actually wasn't even remotely interested in casting him. Lugosi had to push hard to get the role. He did a lot of on-paid internships at the studio and just really busted his ass and finally won the studio execs over. He also had to do this by accepting a garbage salary of $500 a week, which would be equal to about $3,500 by the end of productions. Even by that standards of the time, which was during the Great Depression, this was actually still considered insultingly small. But Lugosi landed the role, and with this ridiculous salary, he still found himself the form of immortality. Almost immediately, filming became a totally disorganized mess. Director Todd Browning was still distraught over Lon Chaney Sr.'s death. They were really good friends and they had worked together a lot, so that's natural. However, Todd would have random fits, tantrums, arrive drunk, and would tear pages out of the script in just a wild rage. Many important scenes would be completely lost and continuity would ultimately suffer. According to film historian David Skull, this attitude naturally trickled down. Much of the cast had no passion or no interest anymore. They were just sick of working around this guy. Everybody except for Bella Lugosi. It is a historical fact that during all the chaos, during all the rabble, Lugosi would sometimes just strut up and down stage in his cloak and repeat over and over, I am Dracula. I am Dracula. Whether this helped or not, I have no idea. The madness behind the scenes, however, would still bring forth one of the most iconic horrors in history. We all know the story, so I'm not going to go too much into it. It's Dracula. We all know what it is. The final product of the film, however, went into several final edits at the very last minute. Originally, it was considered far too frightening. Unfortunately, several of the cutscenes were vital and once more hurt the continuity of the final product. 
originally intended to be filled with a much larger budget. The funding was slashed during production. The film was forced to be shot in sequence, and as a result, much of the story had to stray even further from the original novel. Along with the extensive edits also came very obscure demands. Music is rarely heard in the film, besides the opening credits of Swan Lake and the scene where an orchestra is present. This is because the studio felt an audience wouldn't understand why there would be music just playing. Talking films were still fairly new, so they were still unsure if the mediums would mix well with the audiences. They did not trust that the audience would understand why a soundtrack would be happening. With this distrust in the audience's reaction came another order straight from the top. Dracula was never to bite or attack a male on screen. The idea was because it would seem far too homoerotic if he was biting a man's neck. So Dracula was to only ever be seen attacking or seducing women. So this would be seen less offensive than the mere, even subtle thought of a thought of a man touching another man's neck. I can't imagine getting this memo on my desk in the morning and having to take it seriously and being like, Okay, guys, this is the new addition to the script. The budget restraints and constant madness of a crazed director naturally affected the film's ability to have its own special effects. Many of the film's fantastical scenes green, Dracula's transformations, Lucy's blood transfusion, and even Van Helsing's stake through the heart in the finale. The film had to more or less rely on Lugosi and his ability to strike fear of his own. Several of his lines are ad-libbed, including the very famous... I never drink wine. There are several very cool practical effects, however, like to give Bella Lugosi his glaring, his glaring hypnotic glance that shines some pin lights into his eyes, and to give Lugosi's castle that eerie look. The castle is actually painted on a pane of glass and filmed in front of the camera that way. Several scenes are hinted green to give it a nice eerie look. They did what they can with what they had, and what they had was usually getting taken away day by day. Two months before the film would be released, the studio execs decided to advertise it as a romance film. They promoted Dracula as the story of the strangest passion the world has ever known. And on top of this ridiculous idea, the film would also open up on Valentine's Day in 1931. So lots of people went to this movie not really knowing what it was. You know, Dracula was still fresh. Nobody had seen anything like it unless they'd heard of the Broadway play. But this was before social media, so people, you know, some people probably heard of it, other people probably had no idea. So they're like, let's go on a date night. They see Dracula, which for its time, was horrifying for some people. Still a little scary today, obviously not as much. But when it came out in 1931, people just didn't know. Thankfully, it was actually immediately a box office success. It almost instantly became just selling out everywhere. People couldn't get enough of it. And I believe it was the biggest movie of that of that year. So that's my coverage of Bela Lugosi in Dracula, the madness of the filming. I tried to keep it a little shorter. And then uh, part three, we'll actually be discussing Bella after Dracula and what his life became after portraying one of the most iconic monsters in movie history and maybe a few of the cast members as well as this movie did have quite an impact on several people. So I will hope to see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.